0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm talking to Athena Koblenu. She is a fantastic comic, very uh, passionate political comic, uh, intent on making people laugh even when they disagree with her. Uh, We're going to talk about joining the comedy circuit from a successful career in the public sector and we'll also cover why she doesn't debate on Facebook. We'll talk about affinity bias and assimilation and graft, actual proper solid hard work. She knows a thing or two about that. Um, Big fan of Athena, really, really exciting episode you can catch her podcast keeping athena company and you can find that at slash podcast or wherever you get your podcast you know where you get podcasts we'll get it there um, and you can follow her at athenacublenu that's k u g b l e n u on twitter and instagram and probably more besides um that was an incredibly limber introduction so let's get on with it i'm excited about this one here's athena Athena, how can I help you on your quest to destroy the patriarchy, white supremacy and demonic hegemonic structures? Oh, wow.
1: That's, you have done your research. Um, you've given me a platform. <laughs> <laughs> there you've we
0: go. You've given me a that's platform,
1: a so that's good. Um, that's a really good question, though, because people don't often say, what can I do to help? They kind of just, um, you know, they just... Bulldoze their way around the world and try and be. There's, I, somebody, I can't remember, um, it was a random tweeter. I, I learned this term professional ally. Oh, it was Dahlia, Dahlia Malik, not a random tweeter, a comedian. Okay. Um, she's based in America now. And I thought, it, yes, that's yes, exactly what's happening now. We've got professional allies who are just kind of like, Oh my God, I love trans people. Like, that's not going to save them. Like you love it, like yes. that's not gonna save any of us. Um,
0: that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> I won't ask you to identify any, of course, but I'm just trying to wreck <laughs> my brains and think of the people who I the sort of the first people the first names I think of when I think of being a professional ally. And the implication of that, that term, I guess, is that the professional just to just to unpack that term. What what I assume you mean is that the professionalness of it means that it, they're kind of wielding it as part of their brand, mm. as opposed to having an actual willingness to engage with and try to help.
1: Yeah, it, and it's and that's very common. And you you access that a lot as a comedian because you're connected with all kinds of personalities and public figures that are on social media. And, and you know, it's so easy to get likes and followers by having good opinions. But that's like a horrible, a horrible way to try and change the world. You know, th- th- we're not short of good opinions. What we're short of is lots of things. So the right people having the right money, the right people having the right power, the right people in the, being in the right positions, so on and so forth. So what you were doing in in allowing me to speak on this podcast is actually, uh, yeah, that's what you can do. You know, I mean, I'm not saying, oh, my gosh, you've got to you know, people with platforms have got to book everyone who isn't like, you know, who's like, whatever they call us BAME or BIPOC or whatever, or anyone who's gay or trans or disabled or, you know, short, <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> you know, gun grey early, whatever it is, you know, whoever we're yes. pressing it right now. But, you know, it, whatever you are doing, make sure that it, it, in whatever small or huge way, can potentially become a progressive thing. You know, you have a platform full of people who might hear, and someone might hear something I've said and be like, wow i never saw it like that and that's and that's a really great way you know to change you know to change people um but you know at the moment i do you know i do speak a lot to the converted so that's i'm not suggesting yeah. all your listeners are just like right wing Kind of, but I'm probably speaking to the
0: converted. The only way my platform, the only way my platform could be useful is is if I or be more useful is if I uh, deliberately caught a right wing racist (laughs) audience and then keep switching it on. I do. I mean, not that I've ever had the idea to do that in in reality, but I have occasionally had a sort of daydream of like, in order not to speak to the converted, like I think the vast majority of my listeners are nice. They may not be. Radically nice, they may not be radically political, mm. and I think there is also a danger in niceness, isn't there? In in that kind of, uh, you know, let's not make it specifically British, but the idea of like, oh, I'm 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 trying to help, and that's enough, you know yeah. that that thing. I fear that I kind of I. Oh, that's a whole other uh, conversation, but I I suppose I have occasionally thought that if you wanted to do real good. You would need to deliberately court the audience that weren't the converted. I
1: mean, that's exactly correct. I mean, I always, I've always said, I said this for years. Like, you know, it's so important, like for me, to make people who disagree with me laugh. You know, that's why I go to Edinburgh and, and don't change. I don't, I don't. I'm not suggesting that people do this, but I don't go and write an Edinburgh show about like my dead cat or whatever. Especially, I'd love to. That cat was lovely, but you know, <laughs> I feel like this is my tune. This is what I'm about. So, whatever, you know, whatever expectation there might be to talk about you know, trauma from my family or, or whatever. I'd rather, I'd rather talk about politics or whatever and, and have the people in front of me listen to what I want to say. Um, you know, um, you know, that might sound shady, but it's, it's not meant to sound shady at all. It's just meant to be like my, I feel like there's a bigger picture around what I'm trying to do creatively. Um, so, because what what am I doing to to, you know, destroy the patriarchy and, whatever you know my lines better than me man um I've forgotten them all <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is this
0: is a sensible point to leap in and say that question I asked is a quote that you frame in your show as people often say to me uh, if people don't if we don't point that out it's going to sound like the most absurdly falling question
1: <laughs> no it's great it's funny how much you forget like when you when you don't perform or when you when you haven't picked something up for a long time um but what am I doing part of it what I'm doing is is partly how I live my personal life but the other part is you know what I try to create with with what I write and what I perform, and it might not always seem that way. Sometimes I go online and I just talk about sperm and my ovaries or whatever. But sometimes it leads to. There's always something in my back of my, in the back of my mind that is thinking about okay, but what's really challenging people here, you know? And also, yeah. I like the idea. Sometimes you can write a joke and you can, and people will laugh, but then some people will will, will get this, the second meaning of it, you know? Like there's, and yeah. that's what I like too. Just like saying okay, well, you have to meet people where they're at but they won't always know what you know. So how can you talk to people who know what you know, but also talk to people who just want to go out and have a good time? And I think that's great that idea. Can,
0: yeah. can you think of an example of that? So not to put you on the spot and we can delete the thinking <laughs> time if you need any. <laughs> but but I, I'm really interested in that idea because I think you are very good at doing that. You're, you, you have such a kind of conversational fluency on stage. You really bring everyone in and it feels like a really uh, intimate kind of a chat
1: Oh thank do you. you. Know what I mean? as well as you've got
0: punchlines <laughs> as well of course I mean, not, it's not just a ramble you know but I do I do think that one of your great strengths as a comic is that you you make things very conversational you make us really feel like we're kind of gossiping somewhere with details of your life and you know bigger picture sort of things but can you can you think of an example of um a a bit of yours a, a favorite bit or riff or whatever where where you are you're speaking at two sort of levels.
1: Yeah, yeah. And thank you for those compliments because you gave me lots of thinking time. <laughs> Think of, <laughs> yeah, um, so uh, um, I talk about my name. Um, I've built my name, so I talk about how you can name black people anything, right? That's why I'm called Athena. I've got a Greek name, no Greek heritage. Um, okay. And, you know, I go into, I talk about meeting a white guy called Kwame in a parking lot um, and whatever after after the show. That's not true. It's not true. It's part of, this, part of, it's part of the bit. <laughs> the, it's part of the bit. Sure. Um and, um, because, and you know, that's some, some people think that's a funny joke about naming black people, or anything, but actually it's just, it's a joke about colonialism. Like it's the only, there's only one yeah. reason why there are white people called Mike and there were black people called Mike because everything was taken from us, like including our name. Yeah. And so there's, that bit's not funny. That bit's more poignant, you know? So I just like the idea of people laughing at that because we're presented with it every day. Like people sort of deny white privilege and yet pretty much, Half the famous black people in this country have Scottish names, like it's there, like it's, it's sort of in front of us. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's like, "Oh yeah, Trevor McDonald, what a cool guy." It's like, does he really look like a Trevor McDonald? They like really, really look at him. Why is he? Why is he called that? You know, it's got to the point now where traditional English names have become black names, like Linford and and Winston. I used to do a, a little bit on Windrush, and I, I, you know, it's not that old, obviously, because Windrush is still going on, and I talk about sure. how. You know, if you, you, know, if you want to talk, meet British people, you want to meet the Windrush generation, right? You want to come to our houses. We've got doilies and fine china in cupboards. We're literally the only thing we don't have is a passport. Like we couldn't be more British. And then I talk about and I just sort of say I talk about these two characters in my set. And the characters are called Doreen and Neville. Um, and obviously Doreen and Neville are Stephen Lawrence's parents, you know, that they could mm. They couldn't have been more integrated as a family. Like what we forget about the Lawrences is like they tried so hard as a family. They, every if you've ever read Doreen's book and you should read them and you should read it, it's a brilliant. If you haven't read it, it's brilliant. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's why she's in the House of Lords now, right? Like that's, that's yeah. how she got there. She understands this country better than British people. British born white people understand this country. Um, and yet look what, look what they had to deal with. So, yeah, so those two, yeah, when I talk about a name, what I'm really thinking about is I'm called Athena because you can name us anything because you took you even took away our right to have a, a culture. You know, we don't have that right anymore. We don't have that right to be like, oh, that's a bit odd. You know, you could literally yeah. meet a, a black person with called anything and you wouldn't blink. But if you meet a Chinese person called Steve, you'd be like, oh, cool, fine. There are Chinese people called Steve, right? But you're, there's a bit in your brain that goes, oh, but... And so we've lost that. We lost all of that. And think about... Africa's not a small place. It's not that's not one people's that was taken that had those things taken. That's hundreds, if not thousands, of, of cultures and nations and races and, and racism, whatever. Um so that would be an example. This was like a very uh, good example like can you think of an example when you did this with your comedy oh it's um, <laughs> <laughs> quite stressful i'm not going to say i do anything in my comedy again because you're going to ask me
0: for more examples <laughs> no i mean that was a uh i i yes that was very early on in the conversation for me to go go on prove it <laughs> um I'm interested in a bit of your material I've listened to. And thank you, by the way, for sending me previews. Not everyone's prepared to do oh, that no. because obviously you make yourself vulnerable by <laughs> sending so previews. And I, I hope you can trust me to listen to them and recognise them as previews. Um, but of, of the wealth of material of yours that that I've listened to and that I've seen, um, one thing particularly stuck out about the, the relationship between your parents. Your mother is Indian and your dad is Ghanaian. Yes, yeah,
1: specifically my mum's Indian Guyanese, which is important.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. And w- tell me why that's because uh, she was born Educate in the Caribbean. So um, okay. on
1: stage, I say Indian because it's just so long to explain Indian Guyanese. And that is Got still it. very much a part of, you know, that makes me mixed race. But because she was born yep. in Guyana, um, like in, in Indian culture isn't the same as like maybe African culture or Chinese culture, where if you're born somewhere else, you know, if you're Chinese Malaysian, you're Chinese, you know, if you're, um, okay. but if you're Indian Kenyan, it's not quite the same connection with the, with the, quote-unquote motherland, um, for many cultural reasons. But she's still, she's still Indian, and she has Indian heritage, but Indian Guyanese heritage. So she would be considered okay. like a foreigner in India, for example. Um, but at the same time, she's considered Indian everywhere else. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Yes, gotcha. Und- understood. And what really stuck out to me, or what really kind of stayed with me, was you had a bit about the fact that she didn't know what to do with your hair. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is, you know, which I think is a very sort of typically like uh, of your material. It's typically like it's another example of that stuff we were talking about. It's a it's a sort of little aside, but it contains a wealth of cultural connotations.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, we often talk about kind of mixed race relationships as being progressive, and but I, I reject that entirely. Like, there's progressive for who? <laughs> I think they happen, and they're wonderful. I want to exist in a world where. These things can happen um, without anybody feeling like they should be under threat or f- under fear of anything. My, you know, when my mom married my dad, horrible things happened to her because of how her family reacted. So that's not the world I want to live in. But like, it's almost a bit like saying you have this baseline, and we're way below the, this baseline. So once you get up to that baseline, we can't say, "Hey, everything's ready." Like that's just literally where we should be at, you know. Um, and there's still work to do whilst you're in that relationship. So a lot of people will say, I'm not racist, I've got mixed race kids, or I'm not racist, my partner's a different race to me. And it's like, there are literally thousands of races. Like, you might be married to an Indian person, but you might have real beef with uh, Vietnamese people. Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't really mean anything. But specifically with, with having that... Now I'm thinking about it, that bit is a bit unfair to my mum because my mum lived in Ghana for many years and got very acquainted with everything other than hair. Like, <laughs> <So Yeah>. unfortunately, <laughs> she, forgot, she forgot to learn that bit because she had a son as well in those days when she was living there. If she'd had a daughter, maybe maybe she would have got better
0: acquainted with with hairdressing skills.
1: But yeah. Uh, what a tragedy <laughs>
0: to be the parent of an ungrateful comedian child, just, <laughs> just zeroing it's, in on all your failings. I mean, it,
1: it, <laughs> it, that bit is really about me saying, like... Um, you know, it's some people would congratulate my mum, and I remember going to being an adult with my mum in the airport, and someone walking up to my mum and congratulating her for adopting us. We <laughs> were just like, we're not, oh we're not adopted, you know. And uh, people are really, and people are odd, right? Uh, but that bit where my mum didn't know what to do with my hair is, is is true, and it's just about the learning process we need to go through to be with each other. Like, you know, love transcends that. Obviously, when you meet someone, you're not you're not eating their food, you're not respecting their religion, you're not respecting whatever village their grandparents grew up in you just you just like their soul and their spirit and the way they treat you but then that's that's the easy bit the hard bit is the day-to-day getting to know all that stuff and are you willing to do that um and if we were willing to do that then we'd be Considering how many mixed race relationships there are now, particularly in the Black community, we are more likely to be living with someone of a different race to us than anyone else. You'd think we wouldn't even need any Black Lives Matter marches, right? Because if we're doing all this stuff, like we are the most assimilated race in this country, we are so assimilated we couldn't have done more. Yet we still had to go marching this summer because we were still facing we're still facing kind of intolerable kind of treatment by society and, and organisations. So that, for me, proves that relationship, mixed race relationships don't. Aren't for society? They're just—they're just beautiful things. As a, all relationships are, be- are beautiful. But if we're talking about progress, we're really talking about learning and respecting each other and identifying um, things that aren't happening that should be happening. And on a, on a micro level, that is learning how to do your kids' hair. <laughs> but also, and also, by the way, if you're a black person in a mixed race relationship, it's your—you have a responsibility too. Do you know what I mean? It's not just on the non-black person to do that stuff. I was talking to—I do, I was doing a podcast with someone who's Indian, and she has a. Uh, a black partner and she was talking about how she learned how to cane run. And I was like, he needs to learn how to do it. Do you know what I mean? That's his culture. <laughs> He's there. It's his culture too. You know? And I was yeah, like, you know, yeah. I was like, a lot of respect for you, obviously for doing that. And she was well in, she was so, you know, she's really, she's the one pushing her partner's Garnet. she was the one pushing the Ghanaian identity onto um, her kids. And her partner was like, ah. So I'm like, wow. Like, like we have work to do as well, you know, but look, I'm getting, I must have been chatting for like what ten minutes just on that one little topic. Like, there's just so much work to yep. do. It's constant. So you know, it's a silly joke about having hair because I, you know, my my mum did the best that she could, and I looked presentable, but it wasn't like I wasn't Moesha, you know. <laughs> so I don't know what I don't know uh, what Marisha Marisha is. Was a, like Brandy was in a, Brandy is a singer, you know Brandy. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah she I was Moesha. Yeah. She had like nice hair. When I was okay. a kid, I'd watch gotcha. my and be like, "Oh, I want I want hair like that." Um, <laughs> so, and also just the culture of it, like you know, it's really common for for black women to spend a lot of money on their hair. But you know, my mum just was just would never do that. Like what, two hundred pounds and five hours on a Saturday? Are you mad? Like it just wasn't. Why would it? Why would she do that? It's not in her. It wasn't in her culture. She had no references for for that to be normal. Um, so yeah, but I, let me go on record as saying, my mum like you know my mum raised me to be very proud of being Guinean and being Guyanese, Indian and Caribbean like she was not you know I lived in a very African and Caribbean household except for my hair which was I don't know what to say about that but (laughs) 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 everything else was everything else was fine everything else was good
0: So this is Athena. Lots more to come from her in a second. And indeed, you can go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders if you're not already a member of the Insiders Club, but you would still like to hear another 25 minutes of extra content, which is available exclusively to people who are, uh, including Athena on why she no longer wants a career in politics. Uh, We're also going to talk about the niche overlap between comics and writers and indeed about adaptability. If you're in the Insiders Club already, that's on your feed now. When I say now, often it's an hour later than the second this goes out. But let's assume you needed to listen to the first half of the show to get to this point. So probably in 30 minutes max from now. Comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. If not, you can sign up for a minimum £2 a month donation or as much per month as you'd like. Um, And remember the special way we do it. And when I say we, I mean I, means that you can pay more than that if you like, but you still get the same stuff because why should you be able to buy your way into Insight? Why? Because capitalism. But let's try and chip away at it as we can. And so, comedianscomedia.com slash insiders uh, for all of the extra content from every episode that has it, including the very recent exclusive Insiders Q&A with James Acaster. So, that's all of that. You can follow Athena Kablenu at Athena Kablenu on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find out more about her podcast, Keeping Athena Company, from com slash podcast. It's all it's all done there for you, isn't it? It's all easy. So there's that. I'll post amble at you very briefly afterwards, but it's a hell of a month and uh, time is uh, whipping away. So let's get stuck straight back into this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. let's just come back to this sentence work to do or that phrase you know that you that there is work to do there is still work to do i'm interested in how much the the notion of work to do inflects your comedy career and and your previous careers because comedy isn't the only no job no no, no no i always say
1: i came to comedy quite late compared to other people i feel like sometimes i'm in a car and i feel like I, that everybody's mum. <laughs> <Do you
0: know? laughs> <laughs> i'm obsessed with the preoccupations of comics yeah. that like you know, that we've all been in a kind of a car share with other comics people further up the perceived ladder and further down the perceived ladder than ourselves. And it's so funny to to kind of have the sort of exploded diagram, the exploded view of comedy that I now have from doing all of these podcasts to go, oh, well, that person's probably worried about this, that and the other. And that person who is perceived to be in charge is probably worried about this, that and that, you know, like, this, it's so, it's so layered. Yeah. So, um, sorry, I, I cut off a, a potential response to that. You feel like, a, you feel like a mum because you came Oh yeah, came I'm just because
1: I'm naturally older than everyone else. And I probably, I, I, you know, I have things other comics don't have. So, you know, I, I had a, halfway through getting into comedy, I bought a property, for example, and I had, I had a proper jobs. So I'd turn up, I'd either turn up to gigs either on my bike, having ridden to work and then ridden to a gig, um, and, or in like a suit, you know, like, you know, you know, you know, cause I used to have a proper job, um, and so you always feel, uh, you always feel a little older. But so, you know, how does how does having work to do inform my comedy? I would say because I care about these things so much, it's not about having work to do that's informed my comedy. It's just my personality and what my interests have informed my comedy. You know, I don't mind being frivolous when I tell a joke. My ultimate and complete and only goal is to make people laugh. And I swear, I honestly mean that it doesn't always feel that way when people, <laughs> but I know people might be like, are you sure Athena? Because you're kind of deep, but I swear to God, I just want to make people laugh. That's, that's why I got into comedy. That's what people say. People even say Athena, I think you have the solutions to all the world's problems. People said Athena, we think you're funny, you know, but, um, it's almost like, um, I have never, I've never been able to not write about things that I care about. Um, I have been, you know, I can write things about silly things, but ultimately when I want to write about, when I sit down and think, what do I want to talk about today? It's almost always something that I care about. So it's not a a mission. Like, I want to be part of this process. It's just me. This is just what I, this is literally, if you came to my house and I made you a, a, I've got a cafetiere out, got a coffee on, find some plantain, this is what we talk about. Um, I can't help it. Some people, you know, some people like gardening. They talk about, gardens (laughs) gardens <laughs> you know some people like animals like animals some people like veganism talk about that but I like I like politics and culture and society and sociology and history um so that's that's what I talk about and you know my comedy is informed by that and my stuff is quite topical and it's these days the news is you know this is what the news is and this is what the news has been for the past few years so it's very hard to write responses to what's happening now without talking about these kind of issues because they're the things that have been yeah. so prominent of late
0: and does that mean that i would imagine i'm not really a topic i don't respond to the news in my comedy and i often feel it's a failing of mine because Mm. i have thoughts about it but i i fear my ability to argue my position well like a preoccupation of mine is seeing people whose opinions i Maybe not whose opinions I respect, but whose intelligence I respect, arguing on Facebook with one another. And I just I don't do the popcorn gif. Do you know what I mean? But I do go, yeah, I'm totally on board with what this person says. And then someone argues really well against it, and I go, Oh God, I didn't think I mean I <laughs> I still disagree, but I don't think I could beat you in an argument. How how do you how do you feel about the the argumentative line of your comedy when responding to the news? Um Do you feel do you feel empowered to to if not win an argument then at least not to lose
1: no i don't i'm i love changing my mind i love when my mind changed um you know i'm i'm all for somebody saying athena you're you're wrong on this um it this is why um and i'm i'm constantly revising my opinions on things i think that's <clears throat> excuse me so um i do think that with the full, and I, I try not to use facebook too much um um, because I don't like to get involved in those back and forths. Although debate is, is you know that's how you know that's how, a lot of how society was formed is through debate. I mean, maybe not modern society, but ancient mm-hmm. societies it was all about debate. It was all about men sitting around in circles arguing with each other about what politics is and what democracy is and all that. So there's nothing wrong with people kind of ramming horns. Um, but I wouldn't say that I, when I perform, I'm I'm looking to start an argument. And be like you are wrong. I'm right. I'm just trying to contribute um, a line of thinking to the public sphere that isn't maybe there, or if it's there, it isn't very amplified. Does that make sense? So yes. Um, and I don't think a lot of what I say is very uncontested. You know, that's the interesting thing. I don't say a lot of things that have many challenges. It's just the challenges they do have happen to hold quite high places in society, or or um, the the, what 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 I am trying to challenge is so structurally firm and sound and established in society. It's very hard to change. So, for example, immigration is a good thing. You know, a good good a good topic for this. You might have an opinion on how immigration should work, but trying to enact that politically like is mad. And most of my opinions, I think, are shared by lots of people. They're also they're also not shared by lots of people. But that's yeah. when I get on stage and I talk about these things, I don't feel like I'm arguing against this wave that is trying to like silence me. Um, I yeah. think I'm just trying to make sure that the points I'm making exist in the
0: ether. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, I suppose. I, I, and I don't imagine that people are trying to shout you down at your gigs. Mm. Um, I mean, I probably there are places in the world you could gig and have <laughs> don't worry, I've, about no, it, I've had know. it, you
1: know, I've had that, but I love that. I love banter. You know, I remember during uh, the Brexit referendum going to places and I knew Britain was going to leave the EU. Like it was just quite clear to me from where, and because I was, you know, like a good, I was, at that time I was traveling a lot. I was, I was at that say yes to everything stage of my career. Um, yeah. So I was driving a lot, and you know, you would just go to these places where, where, which and perform to like a room full of two hundred white people, but in that same town you'd see like you've banners and you know anti-immigrant yeah. propaganda, and you think, there's well, there's none here. <laughs> like it's you know you're literally. You've got Munchausen syndrome for immigration. Like you're just, (laughs) you're just pretending it. This is an issue. Um, And I saw how effective the the Leave campaign was, so I knew we were going to leave. So I definitely had a bit of banter with people um, on the stage uh, at these rowdy places. But people are more receptive, you know, to what you're saying than you realise when you're in these places. And you're challenging people, they're not getting angry about it. They don't think you're patronising them, you know. We're really we really are up for debate more than more than we we, we realise. And maybe because so much debate happens online, where it debate is quite difficult and can be quite oppressive and unwelcome, we forget that. But when you see someone face to face and you look them in the eye and you talk to them I'm not saying you change their minds but the conversation is wait is civil like it's a civil conversation.
0: Yeah, that's a really you know, you good don't. point. Yeah, s-
1: it's just social media makes people
0: very brave. Um And I suppose I suppose particularly at the moment when no one's going out. Um but also even sort of regardless irrespective of the of the pandemic I suppose I have you know before I started comedy i don 't know if you were the same i probably I probably started comedy maybe ten years later than I could have, largely through the fear of being heckled amongst all the <laughs> other fears yeah. you know before you 've ever dipped your toe in the water and i 'm just revealing on this episode what a pathetic wind pan. <laughs> but um uh, but the idea the notion of being of being so vulnerable on stage i 'm here to make people laugh. What if someone heckles Of course, by the time you start doing comedy and feel a few heckles you go oh it's just that that 's fine but it, but in um but in a way that 's kind of it, It probably kind of arrested my development or my my kind of birth as a comic far longer than it should have. I suppose in a similar way, I now see a lot of – I'm not even going to call it discourse. I see a lot of – or discourse that sort of devolves very quickly into argument online. And I suppose I end up thinking that's what it must be like doing political comedy. But no, I mean, you know, like the the hecklers aren't necessarily there. If they are, it's an infrequent occurrence – and actually you're right people are more simple. And if you're
1: funny it doesn't matter. We imagine.
0: If you like if you've told a
1: joke people will laugh at it. <laughs> you know what I mean like it's quite it's really simple. If you are funny people will laugh at what you have to say and I make a real point of really trying to be funny. Like it's a real it's really important to me that I'm funny, you know. Um uh, more more important than I think I, I I could ever really stress on this podcast. I only I only ever intend to make when I'm in Darlington or, you know, Swansea or wherever I've been. I only, I swear to God, I only want to make the people in that room laugh. That's the only thing I want to do. It's just, like I said, because of who I am, this is, this is what I am doing to make people laugh. You know, yeah. I don't know, how, I don't know any other way. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Look, I've done, I you do you do some gigs and you know, don't bother. You know what I mean? You know, okay, I'm not going to talk <laughs> about, I'm not an idiot. You know, like I've, I have a tool kit and I know what tools to take to what audiences. Um, but ultimately, when I'm being 100% myself, unfiltered, when I, and I'm saying, you know, what progressive things, I swear to God, I'm only trying to make people laugh, and I'm not trying to make people laugh agree either. I don't want to be like, "Hey guys, the NHS is great, way!" Like I'm not sure, interested in sure. that either. I'm just not interested in like the obvious wins. Um, and you know, I mean, I'm I'm really one of the things I've tried to write about, but it's 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 sort of coming together in in, in other in other. Um, <laughs> in other avenues rather than stand up. Um, but like this kind of worship of the public sector that we have. And the reason being is I worked for a long time in the public sector and it's horrible. <laughs> you know what, I mean? what did you do? What what Oh did you do? I so I was a project manager um for a long time, but I worked in um so I worked in waste and sustainability for years. Um and okay. then I worked in um for like a waste charity, then I worked in education, and then I worked in transport. Um and I worked okay. I skipped around um public and private sector but i've got just i've just i've seen a lot (laughs) and it's sort of like there's a real kind of deification of the public sector which in many ways is good when we say public sector is good we mean firemen we mean paramedics do you know what i mean we mean people empty your bins um Doctors, nurses, we don't mean people who dish out parking fines. You know, I have—I worked for a council sure. one day that said, yeah, 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 we're going to stop issuing parking fines. It's not fair. And then the, instead, what they started to do was lift the cars to make more money. <laughs> 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 you know, I've, like, I've seen this, like I've been in the meetings, you know, um, I've, I used to work um, for Highways England, which is more, I'll say, I'll say this on record now because I'll never work for them again. Probably one of the most corrupt Um, they call them arm-length organisations you'll never work for. It's just an arm-length organisation. So what what the government does is to take things out of its public accountability. So to say, oh, to take it out of its budgeting, rather than make something a civil service institution like education, it just kind of just like kicks it out and says, we'll still pay for you, but you're now an arm-length organisation. And the only difference is that you have a bit more independence and... You know, whatever, but sure. you're still so accountable. So if you do what
0: you want to do, yeah. we're not accountable for your... Exactly. Well, still, or, you know, we're harder to target for your... Yeah, um, but the
1: main thing is, let's say they give Highways England £2 billion to spend on roads. That doesn't count as government spending. Does that make sense? Even though it does. Yes, okay. So it's a bit of trickery, really. Yeah. So And there's lots of Almos, um, and they work great and some don't. But it's like, you know, the money I've seen flush down the drain is like including money that I've been paid, like, you know, they employed me, right? So, <laughs> and you just, you work, so, and I work, I always, it's funny enough, I take the set, I took the same dedication to my day job as I do to comedy. Like I always cared. I always went to work and was like, right, let we just, and we just do a job here. Like I always cared about, and you just find yourself working on projects for like two years. And then just because you've pissed off one Lord, project goes in the bin you know, and that's like hundreds of millions. Of, <laughs> no, I, I, and I wish I was, oh my God. I wish I was exaggerating. That's a, I'm actually referring to a very true project there. Uh, yeah. Two years, hundreds of millions of pounds wasted on contractors and plans and what they call enabling works and all this stuff. And, Oh, we have to go through a Lord's back garden. All right, fine. It's not, 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 not happening anymore. And this affects tens of thousands of people. Like this is, it affects people's lives because this is something that, because like, th- this was an infrastructure project. So if it had been done, it, the idea of it was to make people's lives better. It was to reduce air pollution. Yeah. It was to, stop, you know, reduce traffic, you know, um, road be- roads supposedly have done well, make economies better because if you can get from A to B, you know, there might be a job in A and there might be a house in B, right? But those things don't yeah. exist at the moment because there's no connection between A and B. Does that make sense? So, yeah. and there's yeah, all yeah. these kind of things that are supposed to happen to make this country better. And then, you know, the because of the class system and because of the power wielded by a few people, all that gets fresh around the toilet. And you just think, wow, like, all that's gone. Um, and I saw loads of that. So going back to what I wanted to write about, I really wanted to just us to kind of talk about narrative and how we get carried away with, with kind of like a prevailing narrative. But we know to interrogate it um, because uh, it's really important to interrogate narratives, especially when they come off social media and, and political people who, who want power. Uh, and the whole public sector thing came from Corbyn, you know, like nationalise everything. It's like if you saw these people, you would not want them to run the water companies. I swear to God, you would not want. these <laughs> And like the concept of nationalisation, of course, it, it's a great concept. Like you know, centralising uh, public services that we all use makes a huge amount of sense. But also, you have to see these people, man. <laughs> like, they don't. You, you know, there's a there's a process of of enabling in terms of training, and you know, we need to we. Yeah, I've just seen so much that makes me think on the, on, on the surface that sounds like a good idea, but the public, you know, the, there were so many things already run by the public sector that aren't being run very well at all. And we talk about, yeah. we clap for the NHS. The NHS spent like 10 billion pounds on IT software that didn't work. You know what I mean? Okay. The NHS has all these fail. I'm pregnant at the moment, and just some of the, you know, some of the things that like, you know, the processes you go through and the admin and like it doesn't always work. Um and but we're all like, yay for everything. It's like it's not yay for everything. Like let's let's be honest um and think about our real experiences with with the world. No one's you don't love the you don't love the public sector when they're giving you a parking ticket. You don't. You know, you just don't. Um so there's so, there's there's something in 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 that whole arena of, you know, pervading narratives, but what we don't interrogate. I think the think of it is a good example of how um you can expose you know, peel back the layer of how shit. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, it's impossible
0: now to look at politics without being reminded of the thick of it and going, Oh, actually that's what it's Yeah,
1: Yeah. And that goes all the way down to the bottom, you know, it's it's from the top to the bottom. I'm not, you know, I've worked in local government a lot and it's, it's exactly the
0: same. So two questions on your uh, multiplicity of former careers. Mm -hmm. One, why did you move around so much between different departments and sectors? And two, what do you recognise that is distinct in the way you see comedy and culture, perhaps, but your role within comedy or what comedy is to you compared to the other people, the other comics in the car share? Because you've got a background that a lot of comics don't have. So what is it that you see? What is it that you assume is distinct about your worldview? As a result Yeah, of I'll give you the short answer to why
1: I moved around a lot. I was a contractor, so I would okay, go cool. into places and fix stuff or deliver stuff. So it, was the,
0: it was, so it was the same role, but you just did, did it in I all sorts of different, different places? Industry. Yeah, and I became a contractor okay.
1: because pretty early on in my career, I had a. I was in one place for like five years. It was like my first job, and I was really good at it. <laughs> like I was just like this little kid, and everyone thought I was like 10 years older than I was uh, and whatever. And... But I was never really able to kind of progress professionally. And then one day I went for a job, and I was given feedback after the interview, and because I, I couldn't understand why I didn't get the job, and it was like, yeah, you're great, you're great, you're great, but 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 you know, whatever. They they these in these situations tend to get fobbed off. And then I was told that during the interview, this was year, this is I'm not bit about this at all. this was years and years ago. But during the interview, I was doing a presentation, and I clicked the mouse too hard, <laughs> and, and he was like, yeah, that's really annoying. And I was like, I've literally come here to get no. advice as to like how to progress my career, and you're telling me I click the mouse too hard. Um, and then um, <laughs> oh the person you got is mad. And then the person you got the job as, as it happens, I'm really good friends with the person who got the job now, so we, we've remained friends. So This is no shade on her at okay. all. I just and you know, the, but it was like every day I was doing her work. You know, she was like, "Oh, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that." Oh, and you know, at one point, the, one, one part of the job was writing really well. And she was like, I'm not very good at writing. And I was just like, okay. wow. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, this is crazy. Like, yeah. and then I didn't, know, you know, and, um, and then I left, I just, I just thought that I just handed in my notice. I just thought I'd had enough. Like, this is clearly, there's clearly something not right here. And then not long after leaving, a couple of friends of mine who were still there successfully sued the place for racial discrimination. I was like, damn, I am started about 20 grand there. But, um, you know, it was just a really <laughs> past <our> place. <laughs> off. So I was like, God, I could have played for, so after that, I was like, there's, there's obviously so many issues with, and a lot of it is just affinity bias. A lot of it isn't people going, we don't want you here because you're black. It's like, well, that guy there, Dave, he drinks the same real ale as me. You know, like sure. a lot of it. And,
0: and those, are, those, those decisions are kind of made without the person realising. Yeah, realizing you know, I think, they're making I'm,
1: you know, I'm old. Back in the early 2000s, people were talking about unconscious bias and stuff like that. Yeah. And as I carry myself pretty much like this. You know, obviously, obviously I wasn't wearing the kente and stuff at work, but I think, you know, going to work and doing a good job isn't good enough when you're black. It just isn't. You have to yeah. make okay. a real... It's In the office, you have to make a real effort to show, I'm assimilated, you know. You can be black in your house, but outside your house, you know, you need to make sure that, you know, people don't feel challenged by you in any way. So that's why I became a contractor, because I was like, oh, great, because I can just... Yeah. And people love you in your contractor because, and they pay you way more money um, and they, you go in and you do a great job and you leave and they call you again in a couple of years' time. So that's why I was like, oh, this system doesn't work for me, but this system does work for me. So that's why I changed my job loads. So that's, the, that's the long answer. Um, okay. And in terms of comedy, like I said, just makes you a bit of a mum, doesn't it? You're just organised, you have a nicer car, people like driving with you because you know your car isn't this death trap because I've been in some death traps. <laughs> Damn. Um, you're sensible, yeah. you've, got the, you've got the promoter's number on a notepad. In, on the dash, so if you need to call the promoter, you're in traffic. Someone else can do it. You know, stuff like that. Other,
0: just, just other than the practicalities of getting to the gig, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are there are there ways in which you connect to an audience on a different level because you are more worldly, maybe, or you appreciate? Yeah. You know, they're they're people that work in proper jobs. You've had a proper job. You get something about their lives that maybe. Comics who went straight yeah, to comedy. Right. I was
1: 31 years old when I started comedy. Um, so if I'm talking to an audience, I'm more likely to be talking to people who are my age mates than someone who started when they're 20, 21, and they're with me, you know? Um, so I can, I, it, you know, I have the, the luxury of being able to talk about relationships in in a kind of grown-up way. I'm not saying when you're 20, you don't have grown-up relationships, but you know, we share council, we got, we share a council tax. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. my, my partner bankrupted me buying a house that we live in. Do you know what I mean? Like I can talk about all these kind of, you know, this, this, this stuff. Um, so yeah. there were, you know, people can only laugh at jokes if they have the same information that you have in your brain, if that makes sense. So they won't get a punchline if they don't have the same education as, as you. Does that make sense? So if I talk about yeah, yeah. Um, living with someone and having two kids, um, and, with, with having two kids and the audience is an audience of parents there's a level of understanding that will make the laughter amplified because they've lived it yes. you know whereas if you haven't lived that of course you can understand the concept of being a parent and having kids but if you haven't lived it it's like you don't get that resonance laughter resonance laughter I, is so I really found that yeah.
0: That really, that really changed my mm. having a kid changed my relationship to an audience because I had for my whole life felt like such an outsider despite all appearances. Yeah. That suddenly I felt like, oh, I I know what you're thinking about this. I'm going through a thing. I mean, I suppose like the sh- my shorthand for it at the time was I felt like I've got more to complain about, now, <laughs> so I'm more honest as a comic. You know, I'm not sleeping and all that kind of stuff. But I certainly, I certainly felt a, a shift in. Not how they perceived me, but my my kind of feeling when I was in front of them. I felt a shift in in who I felt I was.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that that's all that's that all makes sense. Like, 18-year-olds don't really go to watch comedy. <laughs> you know what I mean? People who watch comedy tend to be kind of older, middle-aged. Um, I imagine it's quite a middle-class pastime. I don't know what the demographics are of comedy consumption in this country, yeah. but I imagine you're probably going to be quite middle-class or... You're going to have cultural tastes. So if not middle class, economically, you're going to have what they call like middle class kind of cultural consumption. You're going to read art or watch a lot of art. And, and that's what takes to a comedy club. So then when someone comes on stage and they're in their late 30s and they're talking about these kind of subjects, it's highly relatable. You know, and if you look at like the big arena selling comedians that are out there, that's what they talk about, you know, um, Sarah Millican, Uh, You know, Russell Kane talks about being a parent and, you know, he's quite a political comedian, but there's a lot of uh, relatability when he talks about his personal life. Um, um, Who's the guy from Liverpool with nice teeth? Um, Uh, Bishop. Bishop, yeah. You know, he talks about being a divorcee. You know what I mean? Like these, these are all...
0: Other comedians in uh, Liverpool have nice teeth. <laughs> just, let, let's not for a minute make the audience at home think that he's the only I just, one.
1: <laughs> I just had a, a mental block for his name. Uh, but funny how I said it and you were like, yeah, Bishop." Sure. Um, he got his teeth done there blatantly. Like I saw him one day, soccer Saturday years ago and then I saw him a week later and his teeth were white and straight and I was like, okay, this guy has signed a contract for something big. Um, Go yeah. places uh, as soon, they get, as soon as they get their teeth done. That's that's how you know they, they've, got, they've got good management. Um, <laughs> um, but um, um, yeah, what I'm saying is like you can see that relatability in terms of like the massive arena comedians that we've got in this country. Like, people just love watching themselves on stage and hearing their stories on stage.
0: And, and do you make an effort to be relatable? Or are you naturally For, no? Unfortunately, not. <laughs> so it might explain a lot about my career. <laughs> I don't
1: know. I I don't. I, there's no strategy. I don't. I don't sit down and think. Right. What is Britain? Okay. Cool. How can I make myself look like Britain or whatever? No. Not not at all. Um, but if you know, if if people look at me on stage and be like, oh, I've been there. It's a highly coincidental thing. It's not an intention. It's not intentional at all. Um, so I just talk about whatever's happening in my life at that stage or things that have happened or things don't want to happen
0: and and without without kind of what do i mean you talk about a strategy i'm also interested i mean less a a a conscious strategy but more kind of implicit than that when you talked about um uh needing to assimilate as a black person at work are Mm. there ways in which in the comedy industry you felt not the need to assimilate necessarily but a kind of a, uh, I suppose, I suppose what I'm, I'm asking two questions one is about whether you felt the need to assimilate or whether that exists within comedy when you play not just certain types of rooms but if you are playing a tv game if you have a kind of you know a wider plans for your career the extent to which you feel you need to assimilate and also the I suppose I'm asking what what elements of that if there are any are conscious and which of them have you only realized after the after the fact you've gone, oh maybe I maybe I made that decision not really consciously. Oh, that's really interesting. I don't it's weird. It's different when you're
1: creative because betraying what you're about as a creative is ultimately a short game. That's not the long game. Because if you get into an industry and you change the way you speak or you change the way you dress um to to get anywhere and that's not you. Are you going to continue that for the rest of your creative career? You know, some people do. (laughs) Some people do. You're absolutely right and good and good for them. But, you know, I don't need to be here. I had a great job. So why would I, why would I do, why would I give up my well-paid, fulfilling, if frustrating job to come into a world where I couldn't be myself? You know, I think if you come, if you start comedy young or if you haven't had a fulfilling career before that, then maybe you will do that. But what would be the point? <laughs> you know what I mean, what would, Why would I give all that up? Just to walk into a room and kind of tap dance, so to speak. I know that's not what you're implying, but no, like sure. that's a, a kind of a bit of a colloquialism to, to imply what some some people can do. Um, I think generally, like, sometimes we talk about comedy like it exists in a vacuum. It doesn't. We all code switch, not just as black people, but all of us, whatever we come from, whatever makes us a quote unquote minority, whether it's class or race or whatever. So we all go into rooms and we might sit more upright in a certain environment we might dress a little differently in a certain environment we might put on more makeup in one environment and less in another so we all know what small adjustments we want to make to feel as comfortable as possible to be able to perform to our best in different places if i do a corporate gig i dress very differently to if i'm going to bournemouth on a saturday night for mirth control you know that's all assimilation and code switching and whatever but i wouldn't suggest that is um like in any way compromising what I do. It's just meeting people where they're at. And also I'm comfortable doing that. Like I've, I've always lived um, like that. I used to, um, when I used to work and for a long, I only stopped my job last November, by the way. So I was working. No until way. I did yeah, yeah. that. Okay. I was, I was, but it wasn't sustainable <laughs> as you can imagine. Uh, I've definitely aged in the past couple of years. So, sure. Um, uh, Cause I'm not, I wasn't going to give up my financial security for comedy. That was something that was very important to me. I wasn't going to go broke for comedy like as much as I believed in myself and how good I was at it I thought I can't go broke for this like it's just this is not they're not in this not in this economy um but um uh <laughs> but what I mean what why was I going with this yeah so I used to so I used to ride my bike to work and most mornings I would see people in like the basement or you know in, in outside the buildings uh when I was in my cycling gear they wouldn't recognize me do you know what I mean? And then, like, they'd see me in the office. Uh, like on two occasions, I've been mistaken for uh, being a psycho courier. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Do you
0: know? oh shit!
1: Which is, is, yeah, it's happened in my life, and you know, most like, people have a story about turning up to a place and being mistaken for the Uber driver or something. It's just, it's just, this is life. But I'm, um, not, I'm not forgiving it, but I've, I've moved on. But the point I'm making is, is like, we're I've, I'm already used to occupying different shells. Do you know what I mean? Like, and people finding those things to be wildly different um so i don't find that um so being adaptable in Mm. the comedy world to me is just part of meeting people where they're at and making my comedy more effective but the actual comedy doesn't change if that makes sense so that what i'm saying and how i'm saying it doesn't really change but i might make adjustments to um to accommodate people. People don't like talking about race. They don't like hearing about race and they certainly don't think they're going to laugh about it. So I tend not to open with that. You know what I mean? One of the reasons I think I've probably gotten quite good at doing serious stuff and frivolous stuff is because if you just did serious stuff, there were many rooms that you just can't go into. You know, there are lots of rooms I can play that a lot of people who do political stuff can't play. You know, and that's because I have... Those tools in my toolbox, so to speak. So in that in that way, that's where I've I've adapted myself and assimilated myself, and that's a conscious decision. Like I said, because I just I want to make people laugh. So if I look at an audience and I know I know they're not going to go for it for whatever. Like there are black crowds that don't want to hear political stuff. We live this life. Why am I going to go to the comedy club and, and and hear jokes about Windrush? I don't want to hear that. That's yeah, my okay. life. Okay, I want to. Yeah. So uh, when I so most most my, most of my changing. Actually, happens in front of a black audience because we don't want to hear that stuff. We want to hear about observational stuff and talk about our life, and you know, we want to talk. We want to, there's you know, we want to talk about a heckle that happened or or whatever. It's, It's joy. It's joy in those rooms. It's not serious. It can be serious, and I have been serious in those rooms. But no, like, why would why would I take? I would never do what I do in Edinburgh to like a black show because it's like we go for enough. (laughs) <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, you go for enough so that being adaptable um yeah I've done that in my work and I guess I hadn't really contemplated this but I guess because I could do that in my work I w- was better able to do it in comedy because it came naturally to me that's a that's a very authentic thing for me to to switch things
0: up depending on what people want but all of that is true to me finally then if you had one quality which got you to where you are besides your comic ability what do you think it would be? Oh
1: God, I want to say, I want to say, I don't want to say I'm a great driver, but I really honestly think <laughs> I'm a really good driver. The amount of opportunity that I've gotten just because I've driven really well to a gig. I like you, Athena. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell so-and-so about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I mean, I wish I could say like, something like really profound and comically technical and whatever, but just be fucking nice, man. Honestly, just being a nice person. I'm not, I'm not strategically nice. I'm not like this asshole that pretends to be nice in the comedy world, but just, just get on with people. Like I've seen it. I've really seen it all in all kinds of, like, I've seen it all in my professional life and my personal life. I've met so many people. I've got time for everyone. So I would say if I'm, if I'm anywhere in my career right now, and, you know, it might be due to what I've written, what I've performed, the things that I've, you know, the credits that I've got, any accolades I've been given. But ultimately, a lot of it is just down to just being able to stick a car on the road and a postcode into a sat-nav and get to places and do a job. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's quite, it sounds very, um, you know, almost, almost sounds ridiculous, but the amount, yeah, I can't, I can't see me having any of this that I have at the moment without that <laughs> you
0: know, without being a very pleasant Uber driver but
1: that's what got me yeah. really, I,
0: I feel like I can't I can't let that go without comment because I don't want people listening to this to think you could just be a good driver <laughs> I think we've got to take for granted a lot of the ability and the skill and the talent that you have
1: yeah but you know I mean I'm, I don't know I don't know I, I think that go I and mean, expanding on that probably my adaptability like you mentioned earlier you know just being able yeah. to just not, not only being able to play, anyone wanting to. So I'll tell you something that really annoys me. Right when um, and the comedians who have done this will know they've done this and respect to them. They're going to hear me say this and be like, "Wow!" But I'm telling you, what, when you get a very successful comedian and you know they're doing big things and they slag off the circuit, they go, "Oh, you know what, yeah. man? I'm so, you know I'm not so I'm not going to go to." Um, Chow St. and jars for fifty quid, and then they slug off that that kind of that culture that we have in comedy of just like slogging away, and you know they're like in they 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 talk about it like it's this kind of uh, really oppressive thing that is is for small people who have no ambition. Like that is where you learn everything. that is where you learn everything you not only learn how to kind of play in your room which is incredibly important not that you have to be a comedian that can do that but if you can there's some great asset but just the graft you know the dedication you don't have to do it all the time I wouldn't recommend doing it for a living and I would recommend being exploited and there are a lot of exploitative promoters out there but like you know just the graft you know just like I've had some of the best comedy experiences that have come after the longest drives and where I've left that room with the least amount of money in my pocket, Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, right. and you shouldn't yeah. be doing that. You know, you don't want to be doing that ten years into your career. But there's a probably two to three year period of your career where that, where that is your life, and it just you get so much out of it. Um, and
0: I just heard, I just heard uh, the sound of a thousand hearts breaking at the phase <laughs> two to three year period in your career.
1: <laughs> it's, well, it was, it was a bit longer than that, I guess. But it, it's it's um, yeah, like part of yeah, you, you. I definitely owe my comedy career to just not being afraid to say yes to wild things and just going with yeah, the flow. Yeah. And keeping my day job was a big part of that. Because if I didn't have a day job, I could not have afforded to take those hits, you know? Yeah. Definitely.
0: That's really, I I want to thank you for that because I, I, like, I really need to hear that at the moment in the kind of the narrative arc of my pandemic. Like, I don't know what the hell I am anymore. Who, who Do you does? know what I mean? Like who I was does? talking about this... Jeez. Well, I know, but I'm in here. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm looking out from inside this skull going, well, yeah, I know we've all got these problems, but are the ones closest to me, the ones I wake up with every morning are mine, you know? And I think to be reminded of that, like particularly missing the circuit and not missing mm. it. Like, I think what's what's rattled me most is that I haven't been missing the circuit. Mm. I've been missing green rooms. You know, I like gigging. I've been very lucky. I've, I, of the live gigs that were available this year, I've done a, a good few of them. I've probably done more than my share. But the regularity of it not being there—my kit, my son, my eldest son—is at school, and I'm not missing. You know, I'm, I'm not missing having to be away all the time when he's, you know, when he's flying a desk effectively. And I suppose I'm what I'm kind of coping with is this sort of craven feeling of like maybe I don't want it to come back. <laughs> because I've done, I've done my hours. I've done my, I've done my two or three years of, uh, <laughs> you know, of like, you know, hard, long drives and stuff. So it is, it's good. I suppose the point I'm clumsily trying to make is that, like, I, I, it's really good to be reminded of the no, maybe not nobility, but that is an end in itself. I've You saying you've had some of your best comedy experiences at the end of your longest drives and walked away with the less, with the least money in your pocket. That's really good to be reminded.
1: Yeah. Of. I mean, it's, We talk about comedy like it's a job, but actually this is not a job. We don't have no, we don't get interviewed. We don't have any HR. It's a, it's a preoccupation. It can be a job, but until it's not really a job until you're in a room with a contract and money in exchange for the work that you're doing. Most of the time it's a preoccupation. So you have to get other things out of it, I think. Um, But um, yeah, but you know, one day, you know, people leave the circuit behind eventually, Um, you know um we and now the circuits left off behind doesn't exist really anymore um but i have that too man
0: (laughs) in a surprise narrative twist it turns out the circuit was successful (laughs) and left us
1: it's got (laughs) enough of us and our bullshit and our gratefulness but it's it's you know i have that all the time like i have a big you know my i have mad imposter syndrome and you know you see all your peers on tv and doing all these great things and you think you know and you don't think oh i'm doing really well financially at the moment. Not really well, obviously I'm not raking it in, but I'm surviving, you know, and you're not thinking of that. You're thinking, Oh no, why aren't, why I'm, how come I'm not there? How come I'm not there? Oh my yeah. God. You know, and then it's like, what am I then? Am I a performer anymore? You know, am I a perform- am I, I'm just writing at the moment. I'm doing a few online gigs. and um, so, You know, being, being in my condition, I've not been able to perform at the gigs that, uh, mm. that opened up sadly uh, too much because I couldn't travel and whatever. So, i have barely. But I've performed like six times this year on stage. Am I can com- I still a comedian? I don't know because I don't know. And and um, it's hot And how will I get back into it? You know, I look. At, I don't have any gigs in my diary, and I have some stuff in like March. You know, am I, So I'm going through. I'm very much going through this thing. I'm. I don't, I don't want to just be a writer. I want to perform. You know, I
0: like writing. Yeah. I love it, but I also want to perform. Um. And and what do you what do you do? I kind of I've started collecting little kind of almost like tricks that people use to bounce themselves out of that that state of mind. Do you know what I mean? Like when you feel imposter syndrome, when you feel, oh God, what am I? What am I doing? Do you have any little kind of... Because obviously there is sort of the broader stuff about self-belief and, you know, holding on to the narrative arc. Do you have any kind of just little things that you do? Almost like life hacks for for coping.
1: Well, not necessarily, but what I do... Is I think about there was obviously a large part of my life in which not only was I not a comedian, I never thought about it. It never even occurred to me that I could be any kind of creative or performer, you know? Um, and I think, Athena, if you could describe what you do and the people you know and how you earn money today to you 20 years ago that person 20 years ago would be like, get the fuck out of it. No way. No way. David Badil ain't tweeting you. We tweeting you. No way. Lenny Henry ain't doing Zooms with you. No way. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's all about giving giving myself that context of we come so far, what we start to do is normal to us today but it's not normal to us 10, 20 years ago or whatever. Um, some people, that might be 10 years ago or five years ago. Like I said, very old, but um, that's, and that, that is a good, you know, I never forget to to pinch myself, you know, and when stuff like that happens, you know, like people I used to watch on the TV and quote and be fans of, people I've paid money to watch are now like my peers and acquaintances and people who, you know, have, you know, I had an email exchange with someone very, I don't. I don't want to be the last time. I'd be like, I can't say. No, <laughs> like, no, like, you know, cool. I'm, I'm like, oh my god, this dude is just emailing me, just normal. He's apologizing, and he apologized to me as well. And I'm like, what, what the fuck is he apologizing to me for? <laughs> <you know> <laughs> he' like, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm writing to you so late. and am just. i like, wow. Do you know who you are? <laughs> do you know who I am? You know. So you know these things. You cannot eat. You cannot pay your bills with these things. But you can definitely encourage yourself with. With I encourage myself with with that, um, and. Yeah, but it, you know, it never goes away. It's, I think I have it worse because I spent so long doing ordinary stuff with my life. You know, so it's inevitable that I'll have it worse because, you know, I always say my LinkedIn is still up. <laughs> it's still up there.
0: I still get I still get jo- I still
1: get um inquiries from my um, my people who used to get me jobs feeling you free and i'm like i'm not famous now. i'm not it's like i'm not doing well enough because you're still asking
0: me to come work for you <laughs> do you know what i mean at what point that, are you going to realize that is a metric for yeah. success that's a when benchmark. they're like oh
1: we can't ask katina to work for us anymore because she's an actual comedian now but um so you know that will never go away especially and you, you've got responsibilities now we've got kids so it's even worse it's like am i yeah. is this the right thing for me to do to provide for 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 my children you know um so, but that's, you know, that's what I try and do. Just remember that I'm, I'm in a position that is an ocean away from where I was a long time ago. Like, unimaginable when I was, you know, in my mid-twenties, you know, running around Camden being 20-year-old Athena doing whatever she was doing. <laughs>
0: So that was Athena. Thank you so much to her for coming on the show. I really enjoyed that proper invigorating conversation. 25 minutes more about uh, how and why she uh, doesn't want to get into politics anymore. That's a particularly fascinating answer to that. And we'll also talk about one of the niche overlaps of Athena's professional life. And I think it's all about niches. Or, oh, no, niches is probably pronounced niche, isn't it? Just with a silent S. It's all about niche these days. <laughs> That's preposterous. Um, but it is, isn't it? God, I hope you're surviving December. Uh, it's tough out there. And... Um, uh I you know, God, every day I feel like I can see both things on, on the Facebook with the or social media generally with the various comics I know. I can see people are out there having a very tough time. I can see some people are managing to remain afloat, and then of course you can see the people at the very top who are still managing to do innovative things. And I suppose one of the, the oh, let's talk about this in the post anvil. Let's okay, I'll put a put a pin in that. And I'll talk about that in the post For now, that's everything. Thank you, Athena. Remember her podcast, Keeping Athena Company, is available at athenacoblenu.com slash podcast. Thank you to Nathan for editing and uploading the show, Jake Crossland for the logging, uh, Rob Smouten for the music, and your podcast consultant is Peter Dobbing. That's all for now. Get in touch, info at comedianscomedian.com. Join the Facebook group if you fancy getting a heads up on guests of the future and questions you can ask them. Talking to Auntie Donna tomorrow, which could be a a rip-roaring Christmas special, but I think next week's episode is going to be Nigel Ung reflecting on the unbelievable year he's had where his YouTube subscribers have gone up by a power of you do the maths, they were 20,000 and now they're two and a half million. So, I mean, literally, you do the math can't bring myself to say that but you're gonna to have to do the math so there it is thanks everybody speak to you soon hang around for a postamble. I'm minute clearly in a slightly wittery mood so it could be a long one i'm not promising anything bye for now So hello there, postambulers. You've been saved. You've no idea what you've been saved from. I was recording and then uh, I was thinking, this is rubbish, this one, but I'm going to have to leave it there because I don't have time to redo it. And then my alarm went off on my phone and I've scrapped the whole thing. So we're doing another quick take, which is good because nothing I said was of any value. I think the point I was trying to make was that I hope you are surviving december i hope you'll survive it i mean this is normally such a busy time for comics if you're a comic listening to this this is normally you know this is get through january february and sometimes march month isn't it so i hope that you are managing to survive i've been so impressed with the innovation from people who have been sort of wildly pivoting and doing different things and really leaning into them and making it pivoting and leaning in listen to me what a clown um but you know people, some people myself included, I think, really went nuts in March and April and are benefiting now from having tried loads and loads of stuff, and then eventually some of the stuff has stuck um some of us are some of us some comics are sort of famous enough or have sufficient reach that they're managing to kind of carry on as normal I was chatting to a friend earlier on who's got a very full diary at the moment oh it's knackering isn't it december and I'm like oh, okay <laughs> and and the other thing that I'm continue to be really impressed by is the the changes people have been pre- prepared to make that I hear about or that I see on facebook or whatever from other comics who someone posted uh, someone said they were on like a pro comics booking page they said I'm writing an article about the the career changes comics have had to make and there's loads of comments underneath it and I was so sort of impressed really by everyone's flexibility and gumption I don't know that I know entirely what that word means but everyone has been doing lots and lots of different things and surprising each other, me, I suppose, surprising me with like, oh, they can do that. I didn't know that person could do that. Oh, wow, they've retrained to do XYZ from scratch and are earning and are planning to kind of keep that going. I'm just really impressed and uh, I suppose grateful that I've managed to keep doing what I'm doing and a big part of that is you a big part of that is you listening to the podcast not just by virtue of the sort of weight of numbers that continues to give me hope and a small amount of money but also I'm I'm so grateful for all of the ideas oh this should I should have saved this for the the pre-Christmas one but I'll say it now while I'm on the I don't know I'll say it again better later basically I really owe you the listener especially if you listen this far I really am in debt to you because your support has enabled me not just to take some risks and try some things and to not have to get a job driving a van, um, which then sort of gives you the freedom to take risks and experiment. I'm enormously grateful to you for that, um, but also for the sort of huge amount of belief look, this is getting sentimental, it's going to have to wait for the Christmas one. But look, basically, not only do those of you who either you're in the Insiders Club and you contribute that way, or you just listen to the show and you put up with the ads and you contribute that way. Um, But also far, far over and above that, I just derive an enormous amount of positivity from you and from your emails and from you getting in touch. And I uh, really benefit from that mentally and it is good. There we go. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there um, because uh, the, you know, this is, I'd get soppy otherwise. You could probably, can you hear from the position of my head in the microphone that I'm looking up at the ceiling in a sort of, the body language is reading, you no, guys. Um, I'm really grateful, uh, not just for the cash, but uh, for your kind of patronage in a wider term. The fact that you're interested in that you care has made a very, a potentially very difficult year into a year which has been challenging, sure, but often fun. So well done everyone who has had to pivot and has done so successfully and is doing something other than comedy while we wait for the world to get back to normal, as it now seems it might before too long. Well done to everyone who was already successful enough that they took it all in their stride, and well done to everyone in the middle. And thank you to you for allowing me to find my own place within that. I mean, it's got Christmas episode written all over it, but here it is. It's December. You're just going to lump it next week, my, uh, Nigel, and then the week after, assuming all goes well with the recording tomorrow. Uh, three of those Auntie Donna bellends. If you've not watched the show yet, uh, Auntie Donna's big old house of fun. It's on Netflix. You will cry laughing. Bye for now.